Great news, the World Health Organization will not recommend a Kratom ban. In July 2021, the WHO announced new substances including Kratom would be considered for critical review at the 44th meeting of the Expert Committee on Drug Dependence. They met in October and they just released their decision here in early December. Quote, the committee considered information regarding traditional use and investigation into possible medical applications of Kratom. The committee concluded that there is insufficient evidence to recommend a critical review of Kratom. None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any pages of the website kratomscience.com should be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for kratomscience.com your source for all things Kratom. My guest is Drew Clay. Not that Drew Clay, but he's named after him. Drew is a lifelong martial arts guy, boxing trainer into sports medicine and psychology, currently works for Mitrospec, and has been a Kratom consumer for nearly 10 years. This is Drew Clay, and this is his Kratom story. You live in uh, Reno, Nevada now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Originally from uh, Modesto, California. I've been in been in Reno for uh, about eight years or so now. Boxing trainer there? Is that what you do? Uh, yeah, I was. I've done uh, a little bit of everything as far as gyms go. Uh, I have managed some. I've uh, trained at others. Uh, just you know, regular like weightlifting gyms to martial arts gyms, karate gyms, taekwondo, boxing gyms, kickboxing. Um, and, uh, but for about the last year or so, uh, I've just been, uh, working with nature spec and, uh, just kind of doing, uh, doing training and martial arts and stuff as, uh, as, as fun on the side, the owners, uh, and founders, their names are Sarah and Dan Pitta, uh, their Mm -hmm. husband and wife. And, uh, they founded it in, uh, 2015. And then, uh, back when I was, you know, I was an athlete my whole life. So I was always, you know, involved with stuff like that. And as I got more familiar with Kratom, uh, and started advocating it more, they found me and sponsored me back in, uh, like 2016 or 2017. And then, um, once I kind of put competing with sports and stuff on the back burner and started focusing more on this, they brought me on as the VP and uh, the athlete coordinator. So I just basically handle uh, all of you know social media, uh, emails, things like that, and then I uh, handle all of the athlete sponsorships that we do. We yeah, that's cool. Um, I saw that there was Frank Mir. Oh yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. He's a he's a legend. He's he's been around shoot since I was a young man when I when I first kind of got serious into uh, mixed martial arts. It was uh, mixed martial arts wasn't called that back in the day. It was mm-hmm. kind of uh, something that uh, came about over time as uh, the sport grew. Um, but he he was uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, black belt. He was a really uh, really young man when he first won the UFC championship. Uh, he's been through a lot, and uh, he had some had some some setbacks, we'll say, in his life that he ended up kind of 
dealing with things, you know, the way that we all do. But he uh, he came across Kratom and uh, came across us, uh, I want to say, four four or five years ago or so and yeah. he's been uh he's been one of the uh the, the the main sponsored athletes for a while he's done so much to help us out and he's just you know <laughs> me as a kid growing up watching him it's just you know it's surreal to get to uh to get to to work with you know really cool people like that people that i've always looked up to and uh he's he's one of the ones that that knows how to uh knows how to put stuff out there and uh you know advertise and and he's not ashamed or afraid to you know let you know about his story and uh you know you you and i know in this this realm that's that's important and not everybody is is willing to you know share the things that they've been through like that so he's he's really helped the community and us out a lot did you get um first into mma or boxing uh just how did you get into all that so I was first introduced to training martial arts uh, when I was four years old. Um, I, I grew up in a, a rough part of Modesto, so there was some, you know, some some childhood squabbles and stuff that uh, led my parents to uh, want to get me into something that would help help me learn how to defend myself and uh, help me just you know feel more comfortable and and confident with myself and they got me into uh, karate and taekwondo around four years old uh i started competing uh doing karate and taekwondo for up until about 10 years old and then that's when uh i got a little bit more familiar with uh different disciplines like uh brazilian jiu-jitsu uh i had an uncle who was a wrestler and i had another uncle who was a boxer so they always kind of, uh, you know, tried to push me towards their their favorite discipline, yeah. and uh, I've always uh, <laughs> not ashamed to admit that I, I I've always wanted to be a ninja turtle ever since I was a kid. So yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> played a played a big part in my 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 ninja upbringing. Um, but as as I kind of developed into a uh, uh, a young man in high school, uh, I began working more with uh the mixing of all the disciplines instead of trying to just focus on one certain one and that's that's kind of where i where my love and and uh passion for it stemmed from but as far as uh sports and like doing competitive things outside of school and and stuff like that i've been one of those kids who was always doing something some kind of sport some kind of after school athletic uh physical activity type mm-hmm. stuff that was always kind of my outlet away from stuff like you know regular life stuff happening and you need a way to kind of cut back cut out and get get away from from my stuff it's always been uh you know martial arts and sports basketball soccer things like that did you ever uh fight professionally or or do tournaments or anything like that no i've never done anything professionally i've done uh what they call like exhibition fights so uh a lot of people know them as uh smokers um those were uh the things that i did as far as uh mixed martial arts and uh kickboxing um as far as karate and taekwondo i did a lot of those tournaments growing up Uh, Mm -hmm. I was kind of, uh, you know, on the smaller side. So, uh, competing a lot was, was important for me so that, uh, you know, the more you do something, the more you get comfortable with it. Um, so on the karate Taekwondo competitions, I did 
man, I can't, I don't, I can't even remember a number on those. Um, and then as far as mixed martial arts, uh, competition, it was nothing, uh, nothing of any like, uh, relevance, just exhibition fights. I mean, a lot of people that in any kind of athletics really, but I guess especially, um, um, some of these like martial arts and boxing deal with a lot of pain and injuries and stuff like that. In your experience, is that do a lot of people you know have a lot of pain medicine issues? Oh, 100%, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, I wouldn't say the main reason. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of different main reasons that kind of got me towards doing what I do with my life now. But that was uh, <laughs> one of the one of the big ones for sure is uh, just uh, being being an athlete on on that side of it where you know you're kind of involved with sports you see the things that happen in the locker rooms you see what's happening in training you see what's happening in practices um a lot of the stuff that just sports watchers like people who watch it for entertainment aren't really aware of Mm -hmm. um having a lot of that like insights kind of molded a a different perspective on things for me as i was growing up Uh, i was always into sports psychology sports medicine that's what i majored in in college for a little bit and it's one of those things that you know the more that you delve into it the more that you see that there's a lot of uh, things like substance abuse Um, Mm. there's a lot of just like tragic stuff that I feel I mean I've always felt like it could be avoided but it's something that uh, isn't really like talked about it's something that is like encouraged in certain sports it's kind of swept under the rug it's looked away from and it it really like it does a toll on people's lives in the long run, not just in their competitive lives, but life outside of sports, off, off the field, off the the cage, off the the mats, off mm-hmm. the court. You know, whatever it is they're doing, they have uh, a life that they need to lead away from sports. And a lot of those, you know, injuries that that people accrue throughout time, like add up to substantial amounts of pain later on even if it's even if they're not competing anymore even if they're not working out if they're not training still there's a lot of people who still deal with the the after effects of competition later on in life and that's where things like uh pills uh alcohol performance enhancing drugs things like that are you know they're prevalent and it it does a lot more harm than good as i as i kind of got away from competing i saw things as I can do more for the world, um, do more to like help make this world a better place, do more to leave this world better than I found it away from the field, away from competition, um, focusing on things like that, trying to get alternatives and more options and better help for athletes who are in pain, who are, Mm. who are dealing with not just like physical injuries, but trauma that they accumulate over time with things like constantly having their body under stress undersleeping, uh, being under, uh, hydrated at times, uh, you know, a lot of things that add up over time can contribute to stress, trauma, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, all the things that you, you want to do sports to help alleviate, (laughs) you know, uh, all the time of like, you know, fighters and the ones that I've, that I've done the most research on as far as substance abuse have definitely been combat sports. So, all different martial arts disciplines, um, mixed martial arts, and uh, pro wrestling. I was a, a big pro wrestling nice. fan growing up, and that's 
yeah. man, as, as much as it, it, it was an amazing thing to watch, you know, a lot of these guys, I'm sure growing up too, you knew there was at least one or two wrestlers that everybody looked up to. There was no, yeah. no way around it. Like people like Hulk Hogan, yeah. um, Macho Man, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle was a big one. He was he was you know uh, an Olympic wrestler too. Pittsburgh so kind native. Of transition from <laughs> yeah, buddy. There you go. Yeah. Um, and I I read a lot of books on Kurt Angle growing up. Um, I did a lot of uh, you know even as far back as like junior high. I was always interested in the parts of things like that that I wasn't familiar with. So mm-hmm. even though you know I have never been encouraging of things like performance enhancing drugs or uh i've never had any aspirations or or anything to like ever use them myself Mm. i still wanted to know as much as i could about them you know um and so just things like that kind of led to a lot more insight to what's going on behind the scenes what's going on uh you know in the locker rooms away from the the lights and away from competition for a lot of these athletes and especially with pro wrestling pro wrestling is one of the like worst substance abuse problems that yeah. uh, of of any sports and it's sad because it's just you know these guys that we looked up to a lot of these people who put their bodies physically there's a lot of people who say like i've i've beat my body up over the years with you know doing whatever they're doing pro wrestlers and and fighters boxers uh wrestlers jujitsu practitioner they are literally beating their body up over the years you know mm. so having uh to hear stories like jake the snake roberts and yeah diamond dallas page all of these all of these guys that you know were were encouraged to you know, abuse substances in order to keep themselves going. I just, over time it it adds up and I feel like a lot of it could be avoided if, if they just knew, you know, that there's options like DDP yoga, you know, nobody, I don't think anybody was uh, encouraging the wrestlers to do yoga back in the the eighties. Yeah, really. You know, we actually Um, have a DVD set here too. Nice. I gotta get, I gotta get back into it. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't, I've seen some, uh, like, testimonials and and whatnot on them i haven't been able to actually try that out yeah. myself uh, it's kind of like a cross between yoga and like football calisthenics because i played football so it's kind of like it's a lot of that and okay. then you do the diamond cutter but you definitely you definitely feel it you get Absolutely, to do those poses man. and stuff hulk it out Dude. hulk it out to move <laughs> Feel free to uh, feel free to update me on you know any uh, any findings any any feelings and thoughts that you have on it because I'm I'm always interested for sure. And I actually met him. We used to go because my friend is my best friend's like a huge wrestling nerd. We used to go down to the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh and wait after the shows after the matches. And we met Diamond Dallas Page one time. He was definitely the coolest person <sighs> we met. Definitely, he's I the believe nicest it. Guy. And he was a bad guy. He was like a bad guy manager at the time. But yeah, he was he was definitely the coolest. So, did you have any of those injuries and stuff that you used any opioids or? anything for is i'm just wondering kind of like how you got how your path toward kratom or is that just something you studied in other athletes oh yeah so uh i was my uh <laughs> i love telling the story of how i how i discovered kratom because so many people are surprised by it so i absolutely accumulated my fair share of injuries over time when i got to 
I want to say seventh or eighth grade ish uh, was when the doctors first diagnosed me with scoliosis. Um, they said that it was to a point where I think the degree at the time was like in the low forties. Um, they said that it was something that I was most likely born with and just didn't know that I had. So over time it would just progressively get a little worse as I grew up. So I've always kind of dealt with back neck pain to an mm -hmm. extent. Um, but then as far as, as far as sports were concerned, training, uh, you know, martial arts is always, always a little bit, uh, of damage going on. Like mm -hmm. there's always, it's something that, you know, fighters don't really talk about a lot because it's, uh, it's kind of detrimental to, uh, leading up to comp competition. Very rarely does anybody compete in stuff like that without some kind of injury going on, whether it's a new one or an old one, there's a lot of broken hands, broken foot bones, back, neck, shoulder, knees, uh, hips, things like that, just over time kind of start to break down a little bit more and more. As far as uh, like basketball, basketball, I got broken ankle, fractured fingers, things like that. With martial arts, I got broken ribs at one point. There's, and you know, of course the, the overall like damage that you take from just getting hit in the head uh for years and years on end i did my best to wear uh headgear and uh protective uh, gear which i always encourage everybody to use but growing up as as a kid you know you feel like you're indestructible there's a lot of like it's the same feeling as wearing a helmet when you ride a bike you know you yeah. kind of only do it to to please your parents so your mom isn't getting mad at you but uh it's it's it takes a toll it takes a toll whether you're getting hit with you know some some headgear on even thick like boxing headgear if you take enough damage take enough hits to it it'll it'll rattle you around a little bit when i was in my senior year at high school i was 17 years old the thing that actually first got me introduced to uh opiates was a pretty bad car accident i was in one day i was driving from a uh, series back to my home in Turlock and we had a tire blowout and we kind of, it was me and my sister. I was picking her up from a uh, church youth group in series. The tire blew out and we kind of uh, skidded across the freeway into an embankment. And it was, uh, I don't remember too much of it. I remember kind of what happened as the tire blew out, as we were, you know, crossing the freeway. Um, but I'm not sure really what happened after that. I just remember waking up and we were in a ditch. Um, you know, my sister, I was checking on my sister, make sure she's okay. There were people, passerbys who stopped and came over to help us out. Um, but after that, that was the first time that I actually went to a doctor and they prescribed me something for the pain. Um, it kind of jacked my back and my neck up just a little bit more than it already was. And once I got a, an idea of how I felt, with the, uh, the the opiates, that was uh, a tough feeling to give up. So there was a, a lot of years trying to find ways to take away pain without damaging uh, like my organs, without yeah. having the effects of an addiction where you constantly just worried about where you're going to be able to get it next, making sure you don't run out, um, worrying about uh, like social settings and things like that, not wanting to go. If I didn't have something to help with uh, pain, uh, I didn't you know, feel like doing anything. There was no motivation to kind of get up and attack the day like I'm, I'm used to doing. And uh, for me, it was always like a 
not so much of uh, wanting to uh, chase a high or party or, you know, experiment with stuff the way a lot of kids did. I was just kind of hooked on not being in pain all the time. And so it was uh, a bit, I'd say like six years or so of just being on pills, dabbling into a lot of other stuff like alcohol, looking to uh, always make sure that I'm I'm, I'm fueling that need to find something and, and have something to, to help alleviate pain. And then, uh, I, as I did my research, like I always do, I was looking to things a little bit more in depth than, than everybody does initially. Uh, I figured out, you know, all the effects that long-term use of those pharmaceuticals and alcohol and things like that have on like your liver, your kidneys, your, your mental state, um, everything, everything is a little bit of, of relief comes with a lot of, uh, sacrifices in other places that you gotta, you gotta bite the bullet and take. And so it became a way, uh, a, like a, a passion of mine to find alternatives to, mm. to things that people normally abuse and think that it's like a good thing. If, you know, a doctor prescribes it to you, then it must be good. As I uh, was always a uh, an avid mixed martial arts fan, I was an avid uh, stand up comedy fan. Growing up, I was actually named after uh, Andrew Dice Clay. Nice. I'm not sure if you remember him. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember him. <laughs> uh, he's 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 tough to forget. He's tough to forget. Yeah. I was actually uh, I think like about five years old when I first saw uh, <laughs> one of his specials, and that was you know kind of kind of gives you an idea of the childhood that I had growing up. <laughs> I was also a big Joe Rogan fan for, I'd say, you know, the duration of his career since people have known him when he was yeah. on uh, talk radio or news radio. Um, and then he began doing more stand up. He got uh, like on Fear Factor, things like that. I'd always followed him and I'd followed his uh, his podcast on YouTube ever since it, it started. Yeah. Um, and in what was it? It was May 13th, 2012. It was an episode with the great Chael Sonnen. He mentioned a uh, Kratom. He called it Kratom about, oh, wow. I'd say like, I don't know, no more than like two or three minutes into the podcast. Yeah. Um, and the way that he, he, they were, they were speaking on same things that we kind of dabble in with pharmaceuticals, things that are considered drugs, things that are considered good because a doctor gives them to you, things that are considered legal and not legal, what is morally more viable options of things. And uh, he mentioned Kratom. He mentioned that there was uh, like a, a coffee coffee shop, a drive-through coffee shop or something that sold Kratom and people would line up around the block and said, it's, you know, it's, you could tell that he didn't have uh, as much information as we do now looking back yeah. on it, but he described it, you know, the best way that he knew how, which was it's a painkiller and it's legal and it's something that the, uh, the government hasn't caught on to yet. So they don't tax it or, you know, have clinics and stuff for it that people are required to go get stuff from. And that was, uh, 2012, um, going on a decade ago, yeah. that was my number one, absolute very first time ever hearing the word Kratom or Kratom or having any idea that it even existed. And so, you know, and it came right at a time when I was desperately searching for any kind of alternatives, anything other than what I was doing, what I was like, the options that I was given at that time. And that was, that was a godsend. If I ever meet him, I gotta, I gotta thank him for that.
Yeah, I can't believe it was that early that they mentioned that on uh, on Joe Rogan. That's pretty interesting. It's always, you know, surprising when people hear that it came from that, uh, given that, you know, how big Joe Rogan's podcast is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's people don't realize how long they've been trying to essentially, you know, do the same that we do, where we just, we don't really take what we are told or the options we are given as, you know, the end all be all. We look into stuff, we kind of delve in and, and discuss with other people who are, uh, you know, like-minded and, and into, you know, kind of getting down deeper into things. And it was, it was a blessing for me. I went and looked up Kratom, Kratom at, at the time. And there was only uh, in, in Modesto, where, where I'm from, there was only two shops uh, in downtown Modesto that had any Kratom at all or any mention of it. And they were both like head shops, smoke shops, mm-hmm. and had a very limited selection. The people working there, you know, great people, of course, but didn't know really anything about it. So they didn't have too much information to offer on it. And it was that was the start of my Wild West period where I kind of <laughs> had to go through and start diving deeper into as much as I could find out about Kratom, do my my diligence with it. And ever since then, you know, I used it uh, as an alternative. It's what helped me get off of pills, what helped me, you know, give up doing anything else to to help alleviate the the chronic pain every day and help uh, do things like get rid of alcohol, quit smoking cigarettes. There's, uh, you know, a lot of people that I know use it as in place of coffee these days, um, mm-hmm. kind of waking up and giving them a little energy. Like I said before, I got a lot of main reasons why I do stuff. Uh, yeah. That's another reason that I do uh, what I do is to help educate people as to how it can be used, what it can be used for, what's safe, what's not safe. Um, a lot of the stuff that you yourself have, have given me and so many other people, so much information on, uh, I tell people all the time, I got about, uh, you know, 70% of my knowledge on Kratom from experience, all the other rest of the experience I got has essentially come from you and, and everything that you do with your podcast and oh, your website, man, interviews and the articles and yeah, no, Hey, the pleasure's all mine. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful to uh, to make your acquaintance, and you know, as you know, we uh, the advocates in this space are not necessarily you know competitive, but there's always always a little bit of competition in every realm that you're in, and it's nice to have people like yourself, people like you know our mutual friends, uh, Misty, people mm-hmm. that are we're all kind of in, in of the same mindset where we're not looking to uh, gain anything from any of this that we do all that we're looking to do is give people the information that we wish we had at, at that point in time in our lives and if i would have had the uh, your podcast and your your website going on back when uh in 2012 when i first heard it there was there'd be a lot of uh, a lot of pitfalls and stuff that i could have avoided for sure <laughs> yeah i think i mean i there's two guys that I work for on this website that started it, um, but they, they started, I think, 2013, but I don't think they had um, as much information on it back then. They were probably learning themselves. But yeah, 2012, that's, so that's coming up on nine years that you've used Kratom, right? Is that yep. right? And so were yep. you were you on like a lot of uh, opioids or, or anything like when you started doing that? And did you have to like taper off one thing before you started the Kratom? Or? The uh, first 
opiates that I was introduced to were the old school hydrocodone. They were uh-huh. called Vicodin back in the day. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a thousand milligrams. Uh, they were the little yellow ones. They were by far my favorite. <laughs> um, yeah. I think back then they were on the strongest side of the uh, opiates that they produced at uh-huh. that time. Um, over time, I got introduced to OxyContin, Percocet, pretty much any of the generic versions of any of those. The worst I would say that I did was the 80 milligram OxyContins. That was kind of in the uh, time when those were exploding across the country mm-hmm. and becoming a big, big problem for yeah. people my age and and uh, people you know dealing with pain at that time. Um, there was things going on like the OxyContin Express that we, we can learn about now um, where doctors were <laughs> essentially just taking money under the table in exchange for uh, prescriptions. So things like that were uh, not difficult to get. And so those were, those were the main culprits that I was turning to for pain relief. Kind of had the same essential story where, uh, you know, you use it properly at first and then it kind of stops not stops working as well so you start to uh, get the dosage increased and then eventually you just start increasing the dosage yourself without consulting the doctor that snowball effect starts to take hold where you know you start needing more and more Um, you start losing the areas of your life that once were important in Uh, That's now been replaced with making sure that you have this substance at all times. As far as illicit drugs, I experimented with a few of those. Uh, Those weren't anything that I did prevalently or or very often. But for the majority of the, what was it, like six years or so, it was just whatever Vicodin, whatever OxyContin, whatever kind of anything similar to those that I could, man, I've tried just about everything under the sun. Uh, I've tried tramadol, their uh, flexoril, um, you know, methadone. Gosh, it was way, way too easy for people to be able to get a hold of stuff like that back then. So there was quite yeah. a few of them that I was, uh, you know, all somebody had to do was call me up and say, Hey, I got these. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm on my way. Did you quit uh, the opiate stuff first and then start to create them? Or did you kind of like gradually introduce that? So what I did uh, initially was I would use the Kratom in place of pain medication whenever I ran out. Yeah. And that would, uh, you know, take care of things like withdrawal symptoms. It would help to manage the pain, not uh, as well as the uh, the opiates did um, because, you know, of course, the receptors were overfilled with with stuff at the time. So kind of bouncing back and forth. I wasn't really, you know, I was kind of just doing trial by fire stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, the first, first year or two was, uh, a little bit of a, a transition period where I had to, uh, figure out that in order to move from the, uh, opiates to just relying on Kratom, I had to figure a year or two where I had to, uh, kind of bump down the usage of the opiates and then bump up the usage of the Kratom. And Mm -hmm. I'd say about a year and a half, two years in, is when I realized that the more uh, that I keep using the opiates, the less effective that the Kratom is going to be. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to cut all of the opiates. Um, I'm going to use 
the Kratom just to combat the withdrawals so that I could just, you know, I would still be in some pain, still, you know, have a little rough time moving around, but it wouldn't be as bad. And I wouldn't be having to deal with any withdrawal symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, after, you know, maybe a month or two, a couple months of that, uh, once my body and my receptors and everything started clearing out, that's when the Kratom started to become more effective. And that's when I was able to kind of work on a, uh, a dosage plan or like a, like a, a game plan for, uh, instead of, you know, having a certain amount of opiates to take at a certain time, this many times a day, I kind of come up with a protocol for myself using just Kratom. Um, and at that time it was a lot more difficult to get a hold of. So it took a lot of planning to make sure uh, that I didn't run out, make sure that there wasn't going to be any, uh, like hiccups in the, uh, the protocol, but it was definitely a, uh, it was a process and it did take some tapering and the longer off of the illicit drugs and alcohol and things like that, the more effective that Kratom will become in time. How do you, uh, take kratom do you do a tea or do you do it in capsules or mix it with something else well when i first got into it the only thing that i could find was capsules so i started out i'd say it was maybe four or five years of just doing the capsules before i uh before there was more uh information coming out from people who were also using it on how they used it and i started discovering uh you know how people make tea with it uh, people using it in things like smoothies and and juice and and things like that to eliminate the the bitter taste of it. The first time that I used it with just powder, where uh, I used the method of toss and wash, the uh, effects were pretty substantially higher, and it seemed to absorb in my body and take effect quicker. Yeah. So ever since then, I've just been a toss and wash kind of guy. Sometimes mm. I will. Uh, you know, if I make a, a smoothie with like fruits and stuff like that, that can help to eliminate the bitter taste of it. I'll, I'll mix it in there. Uh, but for the most part, I, I just toss and wash whenever I need to. It's much easier and uh, better if you are, uh, you know, not familiar with toss and wash. It's easier to just mix it into a drink and just, you know, chug it or sip on it. I know a lot of people who prefer to uh, just drink it in a way that they don't taste it over time. The taste doesn't really bother me anymore. It's one of those acquired tastes. Um, but it's a, uh, it's, it's seems to be a little bit more effective for me to do the toss and wash method. So Mm -hmm. I generally just go with, uh, powder. And, uh, if I, if I'm doing something like traveling or if I'm somewhere where, uh, doing a, a a toss and wash or having powder around is kind of inconvenient, then I'll still, I'll still keep some capsules with me. I mean, you're in the uh, in the sports world, and do most people like athletes use it for uh, energy, like before a workout, or is it mostly the pain killing effect? Um, I would say mostly the pain killing effect. Yeah, uh, but I do have, <clears throat> excuse me. There's quite a few um, athletes that I've worked with over the years. Uh, the, the company that I'm with, Nitrospec, we were actually the first company to sponsor professional athletes. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the main athletes that we sponsor are combat sports athletes, uh, MMA fighters, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners, uh, wrestlers, things like that. And I would say 80% of them use it for uh, uh, pain relief for, uh, you know, after hard workouts. Yeah. Bodybuilders also, bodybuilders specifically are one of the ones that 
are uh, constantly putting their body in a state of soreness, you know, so mm-hmm. breaking down muscles, uh, trying to recover and build them back up and then going and doing it again. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of people who use it just for, uh, like post-workout to combat soreness and things like that. Um, but I do have quite a few, uh, I've met quite a few individuals who, uh, use it for things like stress and anxiety of yeah. like competing or like social anxieties, things like that kind of helps them to not be, uh, not be so like on edge when they're around people. Um, I know some people who use it pre-workout, um, use it to kind of give them a little bit of, of energy and focus when, uh, uh, they're, they're doing things where they don't want to take like a, a pre-workout that's going to increase your heart rate a whole bunch or, yeah. Uh, you know, essentially dehydrate you if you don't hydrate properly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely the uh, pain relief is probably the number one thing. There's a Reddit R quitting kratom. There's a lot of people that say they're getting severely addicted. Um, you know that you're having withdrawals. Like, have you ever had any of that type of experience with kratom? And if not, like, what do you make of people that are saying, you know, I've it's just as bad as opiates for me and stuff like that. That is uh, an area where I feel uh, people like myself, yourself, the advocates for it are crucial because that is where I think a lot of people are just lacking a lot of information, especially people who have zero information about Kratom and just get introduced to it by somebody recommending it. They see a video online. They hear somebody uh, at the gym say that they're using it or they just happen to come across it in a, uh, in a shop somewhere. I have for sure experienced withdrawal symptoms when quitting Kratom, but there's also a lot of uh, tangibles that uh, people need to take into account at the times, you know, looking back, knowing what I know now, I know that during those times I was taking much more Kratom than I needed to. I was mm. uh, not, uh, not fueling my body properly. I wasn't focused on staying properly hydrated. I wasn't eating properly. Um, I wasn't sleeping properly. I wasn't getting, uh, too much. I mean, I've always exercised. I've always been a real physical guy. I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure I do have some form of ADD cause it's really hard for me to sit still <laughs> for too long. Um, there was a lot of things that I can't look back on it and say that only taking Kratom was the cause of all this, if that makes sense. There's a lot Mm. of different things that come into play. Uh, You know, what kind of Kratom you're taking, where you're getting it from, uh, how much you're taking, how often you're taking it. Um, All these things I wasn't very aware of at the time. So my answer is kind of like a yes and no, where yes, I have had effects like that. There are times when I have taken it and thrown up, but you know, looking back, I know that it was because I was just taking way too much at a time. You know, if I would have cut, cut the dosage back substantially and, uh, you know, measured things out better, uh, kept a little bit better log and idea of how often I was taking it, things like that. I feel like that all could have been avoided. Um, as far as other people's experiences, there are a lot, there's a lot of them out there that can maybe sway people against Kratom or uh, turn them off of it if they were already using it. I don't mean to sound as if uh, I'm discrediting anybody else's experience, but in my experience, anytime I try to uh, dive deeper into those, those instances, uh, as yeah. I'm used to doing, 
I don't get a lot of uh, pertinent information back on those those instances. So, yeah. uh, for example, anybody who uh, anybody who comments on the TikTok videos like, "Oh, the withdrawals are worse than any other drug that I did." I had to uh, I had to go back to opiates just to get off of kratom and things yeah. like that. Those are the people that I, I do, I, I kind of sympathize with them. I empathize with them, uh, but I don't just leave it like that at face value. I always try to ask them deeper questions like, well, how much were you taking? Where did you get it from? Uh, what other things were you taking? Which is always, uh, you know, seems to be a common problem yeah. in those instances. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't just write off anybody's negative experiences, but I also am just like yourself. I'm the kind of guy who, who can't really just take things at face value. I need to, I need to kind of get a little bit more, uh, uh, deeper into it to, to understand and to, uh, to be able to make an accurate, uh, judgment and, and assumption on, on what actually happened. And if Kratom was to blame the worst thing that I've ever experienced is the throwing up at times that's only happened maybe once or twice in my life. And it was, you know, knowing what I know now, like I said, it's, it's obvious what the problem was. I was just, you know, taking too much. I didn't have an idea of how much was a proper dosage or, uh, what, uh, each individual kind would do as far as effects yeah. generally. I, I, absolutely feel for anybody who has lost anybody in their life, lost a loved one where, uh, you know, Kratom was in some way, shape or form involved. Those ones are difficult to address the way that we address them because not too many people are looking to uh, answer any questions on losing a loved one and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, we get, we get stuck looking at things like autopsy reports online and just going off of people's, people's firsthand words and statements about it. But I feel like if there was, if there was a lot more available information, a lot more like readily available, reliable places for people to get it, uh, back, you know, in the day as there was now, I don't think that there would be as much of those negative experiences, uh, floating around. Yeah, and I wish, like, with a lot of the deaths where they have Kratom, even, you know, the coroners telling the families, well, this is a Kratom overdose, when you look at it closer and you find out it's multi-drug, but I, I, it's always up in the air, because I wish I could get on here and have a whole podcast about how to avoid dying <laughs> while you're taking Kratom. I mean, number one, don't take any other drugs that would kill you on your own, because that's where most of those uh, reports are from, um, but, but, 100%. but it's like, it's, these questions are unanswered and and after like reading Carl Hart's book it they it, it happens with a lot of drugs too like it's not necessarily always a drug overdose just because a coroner who's either elected or even if he's qualified he's under a deadline to determine cause of death uh, and maybe he has a couple other bodies to look at that day. Uh, it's like the harsh right. reality. Uh, but but there's no like scientific method. We even know that if you have a heroin overdose, it's respiratory depression. But we don't know, you know, other than taking so much that it becomes toxic, like a water toxicity, uh, how Kratom actually would kill somebody if it could. Uh, and Right, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, history of safe use. But you were talking about dosing. So, like, how much for you is, is like, an average uh, dose? Right now, I 
have always, uh, you know, been of the mind of uh, moderation with everything. Mm -hmm. So making sure that I keep, you know, not just things that I ingest, but everything in life in moderation. I think that's a a real important thing for people to learn and to apply to their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Once I realized that that this was something that I needed to make sure that I'm, I'm moderating properly. Um, my, my dosages went down a lot and it became much more effective for me. Uh, we hear a lot of people say in this community, less is more. And that really is very, very important information to have the first, uh, maybe year or so I was taking anywhere from five to 10 grams at a time. Um, and that wasn't, uh, you know, doing anything detrimental to me, but it was, uh, not something that was ideal or like smart to do, Mm -hmm. uh, every single day and multiple times a day. Um, over time, it just, you know, adds up and you get, you know, what we know as, as the wobbles. Um, so as, as time gone has gone on, I have dialed my, uh, my dosages down into smaller dosages and just broke it up more throughout the day. Um, so for example, today, this morning, when I wake up, I will do, uh, I like to do blends. I like to do a white and a green, uh, daily. The first, uh, dose that I'll take when I first wake up will be maybe two or three grams. Mm. Um, and then about, you know, 30, 45 minutes to an hour, um, after, that one has digested, I will do another two grams. And that's pretty much all that I need for about half the day up until, you know, two, two thirty, three o'clock or so, uh, yeah. depending on what time I get up. But, um, generally that's, that's how my dosages will go instead of taking, uh, for example, like if I know that I operate best with four grams, I will do like two grams now, two grams in half an hour, 45 from now. Even, you know, when you are, are kind of doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, um, there's a lot of, you know, upkeep with, with your body that I think a lot of us uh, uh, take for granted and, and neglect and uh, just, you know, being, being aware enough and, and being mindful enough to know that you need to stop drinking or, you know, yeah. cut back on anything like that, um, getting your blood work done. Uh, things like that. I just got my blood work done uh, uh, about a month or two ago also. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, keeping keeping track of your body and keeping track of what's going on with it, uh, getting getting checkups, getting getting blood work, getting tests and, and things like that done. That's that's important for anybody. But, yeah. you know, once once you have, you know, something like Kratom worked into your your routine, uh, it becomes, you know, even more important. Something that I always encourage people to do is if you're thinking about, you know, trying to, uh, implement Kratom into your routine for whatever reason, uh, definitely go make sure that you get, uh, an idea where you're at health wise and, and what's, what other changes that you need to do. Cause a lot of times, you know, people might, people might have, you know, chronic pain from things like inflammation from just you know, eating terribly, eating nothing but processed foods and Mm. sugar and things like that. And just cutting sugar out of people's diets could help to reduce, you know, inflammation and pain and things like that immensely without having to 
you know, resort to uh, any other kind of substances and stuff. And that's, you know, I always encourage people that same way. Make sure you take breaks, you know, moderation. You don't want to constantly be at a point where you, you know, are fiending for something where you, you feel like you can't live your life without it. That's, you know, that's one of the, the wonderful things about Kratom for me is, you know, at any point I, I take a break. Um, I, I can go without it. If I, you know, go somewhere where, like I said, it's going to be a, a little difficult to do a toss and wash right there in the middle of everything. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have to worry about, um, you know, going into really bad withdrawals as I did with, uh, things like alcohol and, and, opiates and um i don't have to worry about my pain coming back to excruciating levels uh if i don't constantly have this with me and that's you know something that i I couldn't really say about about you know the other stuff that i was using it's a lot of like mental stuff too it kind of rewires your brain and your way of thinking and you know being able to rewire it back to what it is normally is is very important and there's definitely a need for people to know this isn't, you know, something that you go to the doctor for and then they prescribe it to you and you have to take this every single day for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, this is ultimately looking to help people get away from things like that. You know, I tell people I use Kratom the same way that anybody else uses ibuprofen. You know, it's not something that I'm constantly like, oh, I got to have it. I got to have it. It's just, oh man, I'm, my back's kind of hurting. I kind of got a headache. I'm take a little bit of Kratom and, and feel better. And, and so I was just going to ask about, so you're in Nevada. Is there any legal issues going on with Kratom there? I know there's a legal recreational marijuana, so but that, oh, that doesn't yeah. always uh, that doesn't always line up because uh, kratom's illegal in Denver, which is weird. But uh, in the in the city, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I talked to a no couple of Misty and um, uh, Jacob Ringstead. They were talking about that. But you can basically still order it by it. Doesn't really matter. But so what's what's uh, anything going on with Nevada? Yeah, Jacob too. Since you mentioned it, he's a great dude. Great shout out to all the. Anybody in the Kratom community, everybody on TikTok, everybody who, you know, everybody who's with us on this, on this journey, uh, they're all, I love all those people. You guys are much appreciated. Um, in Nevada, I believe it is, uh, a little bit more because they have, um, a lot of companies that, uh, work with Kratom that are based out in Nevada. Um, it's legal out here. Uh, recreational marijuana is legal. But as far as I've known, like anytime, uh, you know, anything having to do with uh, stuff like that in Nevada has even been, you know, on the docket, it gets it gets a lot of attention and a lot of people addressing it and, and trying to make sure that they put a put a stop to any shenanigans going on with it. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few uh, dispensaries. There's quite a few um Uh, like specialty shops for Kratom that I see. There's a a couple of them here. There's a few dispensaries here in Reno and Mm. uh, there's one. um, I know of one uh, Kratom like specialty shop, like a legitimate shop that is, you know, does everything that they're supposed to be doing and focuses solely just on Kratom. Most of the the people that I come across either feel one way about it or another. Um, There aren't too many people 
who uh, aren't aware of Kratom at all, who just, you know, decide, oh, I just, you know, want to give it a try, or I just heard about it or anything. Um, pretty much everybody that I know that uses Kratom out here, um, uses it freely, uses it openly, or they're just, you know, somebody who decided that it's, it's not for them. It's something that shouldn't be, shouldn't be, you know, pushed to the public or anything like that. I don't think that there's any uh, worry about it getting uh, banned in, in Nevada. Yeah, um, and you know what? I just looked it up, and there actually was a Consumer Protection Act passed uh, there in 2019. So that's there we good. Go. That's there good. We go. Whole, it's uh, usually at the beginning maybe. of the years when uh, all the uh, governments go into session, especially for the uh, lesser populated states. So you have to watch them at the beginning exactly. of the year. <laughs> and everything going on with the WHO and, and yeah. the FDA overseas and stuff now, I think that's kind of that's the got big a lot one. of people's attention. Yeah. Hey, that's what we're here for, man. <laughs> trying to trying to fight the good fight. Yeah. Oh, another question I always ask everybody is, do you have a doctor that you can talk to about uh, Kratom? I don't have one specifically myself. I actually just got a new doctor for uh, the blood work and everything that I did recently. So I haven't uh, haven't had any uh, face-to-face time with them yet. It's just been through online it's called my chart it's like a yeah uh, it's yeah. kind of like a ever since ever since covid and the pandemic and stuff yeah. they have ways of you know scheduling and doing online meetings and stuff mm-hmm. um but i have actually uh spoke with a doctor um it was someone that uh, a family member of mine was using for a long time my experience with that doctor was pretty much you know ideal for how we wish they would go about it. He just told me, honestly, I don't have any information on it. Um, but if, if, you know, you have done your research, uh, you've taken into account all of the pros and cons that, that you read of, if you, you know, have, have looked into it and it's not just something that you are, you know, experimenting with. And if it helps you, then, uh, I'm not going to tell you not to use it. Uh, I can't recommend that you use it because I don't have any info on it. Um, and then that individual actually went and did some research on their own time with it and, uh, said that, you know, they don't have any, any feelings towards it as far as, uh, you know, it being a positive and, you know, wanting to recommend it to people, but he, you know, wasn't able to say, I can't really tell you that it's bad. So that was awesome. Yeah. That sounds great. That sounds like a progress a little bit. Cause I know, I mean, some of them will probably just look at what the FDA says and, and say, yeah, I, I don't have any reason to disbelieve them. <laughs> and, uh, right. But, right. um, and it's one of those, one of those other avenues as a, as an advocate that we have, that we have to try to try to knock down that barrier and just get, get our foot in the door and, you know, get people to listen to us, get people to actually uh, sit down and have a conversation about it. And it'll, I think it'll happen. I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll happen. We've, you know, we've come this far and I don't see, uh, I don't see any, anybody looking to, to let up anytime soon. And we've got, uh, we got a lot of, I would say for every, you know, negative uh, story or testimonial or propaganda that's out there, mm-hmm. I would say that there's 10 people who will tell you their positive experiences from it. And I think that that's gone a long way for us as far as eliminating any of the the false information or the misconceptions about it. 
It's like I said, man, I've been I've been doing this for a while and I've been a huge fan of yours and what you guys do and Thanks I'm always so much. always looking to support and help out the the fellow advocates. I appreciate you having me on this and you know, getting to getting to talk with you and, and get to know you and stuff. I consider you a friend in this, so anytime that I can help you out, I'm always here for you. Hell yeah, likewise, likewise. Thank you, Drew Clay. We don't advertise and we don't ask for money on Kratom Science Podcast, but we do ask for your support. Please like, subscribe, comment, rate, review, and share the Kratom Science Podcast on your social media. Please ignore the propaganda and follow the science. The music is Risey. The song is called Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher for KratomScience.com. Take care.